This is Mike Levitt. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of healthcare. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to The Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Weaver and Daniel Chipping of the Institute for Advancing Health Value. The Institute is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating the industry to succeed in health value. Join Eric and Daniel as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to Value listeners, this week we have an important podcast discussion. I'm inviting two of my colleagues. We recently wrote an article together entitled Changing the Calculus of Self-Interest in Healthcare, and it really is a response to the greed that's holding us back and transforming the American healthcare system. Before starting the podcast, however, I wanted to read to you an excerpt from the final speech from The Great Dictator, the movie with Charlie Chaplin, and it goes as follows. In this world, there is room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives us abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. The airplane and the radio have brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness in men, cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. So with that said, you know, I want us to really think about today as you listen to this podcast episode about the entrenched fee-for-service model, uh, the lack of value-based care, and how that's holding us back as an industry. I'm inviting two of my colleagues, Craig Solid and Andrew Coppolo, to discuss this article we recently wrote for the American Journal of Medical Quality. Just to tell you a little bit about Craig and Andrew, uh, Craig Solid is an independent consultant. He's the owner and principal of Solid Research Group, LLC. He helps a variety of organizations, including device and digital health companies, and he works with them to demonstrate and communicate the value of their products, devices, um, help them with process and solutioning. He has more than 22 years of experience in healthcare. He's co-authored 60 peer-reviewed manuscripts. He's written multiple books. Also, I wanted to let you know about Andrew Coppolo. He has 20 years of experience in healthcare. He's nationally recognized as a subject matter expert in healthcare quality and change management. He's the associate director within Optum's Behavioral Health Solutions. He's the assistant program director for the healthcare quality and safety at Thomas Jefferson University's College of Population Health. He's on the editorial board for the American Journal of Medical Quality. 
both friends of mine. Um, it's been an honor to be able to engage them, not only in writing this article, but having this podcast that we can share with you about changing the calculus of self-interest in healthcare. So without further delay, let's go ahead and hear from myself, Craig, and Andrew as we have this important discussion about the race to value in the U.S. of A. Greg and Andrew, I'm really looking forward to our podcast discussion today. You know, we're going to be talking about the article that we wrote together, Changing the Calculus of Self-Interest in Healthcare. And it was recently published in the American Journal of Medical Quality. And we wrote this editorial for a reason. You know, we wanted to advance the conversation on value-based care by addressing the elephant in the room, which is greed. You know, and that seems to be holding us back and transforming the American healthcare system. And I'm excited to have you both on the podcast so we can wax eloquently on this topic of self-interest and the big business of healthcare. And ultimately, it's my hope that we can also provide a sense of hope and optimism for those in industry that are really trying to make positive changes happen. So, guys, I really appreciate you joining us this week for this special conversation. Thanks so much, Eric. This is Craig. Uh, great to be here with both of you. Likewise, uh, Eric, this is Andrew, and I'm thrilled to be here, thrilled that we were able to come together and put this out there and to have this uh, meaningful dialogue. Well, this dialogue is meaningful, and I have to give full credit to Dr. Don Berwick. You know, he wrote uh, an editorial uh, for JAMA back in January, and it was entitled Salve Lucrum, the Existential Threat of Greed in U.S. Healthcare. And he called out our industry for this glorification of profit, you know, salve lucrum, which is harming both care and health. And he lambasted the industry for prioritizing excessive private gain at the expense, at the expense of ensuring equitable, cost-effective care delivery that ensures optimal health outcomes for our citizens. And his declaration of salve lucrum, which means hell profit. You know, that's a mentality that he attributes to, you know, exorbitant drug prices, the steadily increasing trend of mergers, comparatively poor marks for cost and quality. And he paired it with a call to action for healthcare workers to rise up against these greed soaked behaviors that present an existential threat to healthcare. And when we wrote this article, you know, we obviously wanted to express our support for Dr. Berwick and his, and his expression of the moral imperative to challenge this myopic self-interest. But we also wanted to address the economic imperative that's ultimately going to lead to change. So as we start our conversation today, I wanted to talk about this balance between the economic and the moral imperatives in our country. You know, is it realistic you know, that we have this rejection of the salve lucrum mentality, and will that pull us back from the brink? And also, is this movement to value-based healthcare a way for us to realign those financial incentives so we can transform our current medical industrial complex? Um, Craig, I, you know, how about you get us started today? I'd love to hear your views on it. And then, Andrew, you can uh, also discuss kind of how you feel about this and, and what we wrote about in the article. Sure. Yeah, this is Craig. I think the the thing that struck me, I remember when I read Dr. Burke's article, first and foremost, was just how representative it was of this inability to uh, have the same idea and expression of value across the industry. This was from his perspective. And some of the pushback that he did receive was from, say, physicians who say, we're just advocating for what we think is fair value for the services that we provide. Or 
you know, we are facing closure because of reimbursement policies and things like that. And so I think to me, it really highlighted the fact that as an industry, it's difficult to have these conversations because none of us speak the same language and we all are looking at it from a different perspective. So I thought it was insightful and a great call to action. And at the same time, um, sort of epitomize the struggle that we're in when we don't have a shared vernacular of uh, of how to talk about this. Craig, I, I share a lot of of the the, the same sentiments in in terms of how sort of just just the 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 emotional response I I, I felt from um uh, from Dr. Berwick's article. In in some ways, this was an extension of. IHIs, the, the Institute for Healthcare Improvements, earlier work, they they came out with a, a white paper several years ago called the Trillion Dollar Checkbook that called out waste in healthcare. Uh, and that waste in part I see as being tied to this, this question of greed, how much greed is there? Um, and, and is it really uh, causing an existential threat? And, and when we look at the landscape across our industry within the United States, we see hospital closures as just through normal course of business. We see uh, Becker's puts out a, a hospital closure list every, every few months. And I felt that this, this moral imperative that, that Dr. Berwick called out was, was, was important, but it wasn't the full story. And, and I wanted to highlight, I wanted us to, to highlight this other question, which is um, how can we even talk about quality of care if, if, if we don't have access to care? And, and, if, and if we continue along this pathway that we're on right now with hospital closures as just a, a, just a part of our new normal, it is an unfortunate future we are staring at. Thank you, Andrew. I, I totally agree. We have, as an industry, in some ways, oversimplified it, right? I mean, we talk about quality and we talk about value, and sometimes we talk about them interchangeably, right? Because we equate them as almost equivalent. And as you highlight, there's so many nuances to this, and there's so many different components. And and I think we need to not avoid that complexity, but sort of dive into it and understand it, and so that we can separate the different components and understand it from all these different uh, perspectives. I agree, gentlemen. And I do think that there was something left unsaid in Berwick's piece. I mean, he clearly called out everything systemically wrong with the system from drug prices that are ultimately extortionate and, you know, the exploitation of market consolidation and the coding games and executive compensation and the lack of transparency and how medical debt is leaving people bankrupt. He talked about all the entanglement that's deeply entrenched in the industry, which is re related to greed. But he didn't really provide a solution forward. I mean, he, I think, uh, talked about, you know, all the things that we have to do to speak up societally. And, you know, we have to insist that guilds and trade organizations are held accountable and leaders should lobby Congress. But I felt like there was something to be said about aligning the incentives the right way because you can't speak out and reform a system if it's not designed to perform at the level to which doesn't bankrupt people and and personify greed and you know that's what value-based care is all about so I, I I do think there's some hope out there and I, I think the tone of the, the the jama piece was definitely in the direction of you know this is just 
it was a little bit doom and gloom for me, but I, I completely agree with everything that he stated. But just hosting this podcast and, you know, being in a in a rarefied position where I'm, you know, talking to leaders and innovators and people that are spearheading federal policy and and, you know, in all sectors of of healthcare, you know, like there's a lot of bright spots out there. You know, there's these green shoots. Uh, out there that are are really delivering care and uh, transforming healthcare organizations around this socially conscious type of mentality where they're realigning their profit motives with the the tenets of value based care and you know I agree it's an ambiguous term but you know it encompasses a lot of things you know the the quality the lower healthcare costs better patient experience reduction of inequities and you know ameliorating workforce moral injury and this is a seismic shift I mean we're talking talking about 20% of our gross domestic product. It's not going to happen overnight, but we have to have these green shoots that are showing us that, you know, this isn't mission impossible. There are examples uh, of exemplars in the current landscape. And I just wanted to provide our listeners this week with some hope and, and, and maybe a next level discussion, you know, in terms of what we're bringing forward and the, and what we posited in the article, you know, there was a quote about green shoots that I really like. Amidst this vast wilderness, hope really does take root in the form of green shoots, sprouting with resilience and the promise of a brighter future. So, gentlemen, let's let's now talk about these green shoots. Uh, you know, can you share your perspective on the current value-based care landscape and where we see the potentiation of real change in healthcare with leaders who are acting boldly to make the necessary financial and cultural investments to deliver more cost-effective, equitable, and accountable care? There are a lot of examples out there, really wonderful ones. And in, 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 in the, I've, I've spent a lot of time over the past year in the studying, trying to understand the, the, the mechanics of, of high reliability, high reliability, organizing, mindful organizing. And, and from a quality perspective, we, we tend to focus in just as a just, just human condition, we, we tend to focus on the negative. We want to eradicate waste. We want to get rid of uh, safety risk. What we don't do as well is highlight the good things, those green shoots. And if we are able to take those those green shoots, if we were able to look at them and 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 highlight them not just as neat and novel, but to examine them and try to understand, well, how did they? How did they demonstrate their value? How were they able to maintain solvency when so many others in their situation were not? And to leverage them, not just as unique and novel and interesting, but as potentially a, a playbook or a map of, of what we could look like as an industry, as opposed to just a, a, a single one-off organization that just happened to, to be doing well. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. And I think the other component that I think of is we sort of have to acknowledge that everything about healthcare is complex and interrelated. Patient care is complex. It's done in networks of individuals and hospitals and health systems that are complex. Health itself is complex. Payment systems are clearly complex. So I, I think I see it in pieces and I see it, uh, you know, uh, a, a good idea over here and a good idea over there. And it's not linear and it's, it is messy. And I think it will continue to be, but I think we will continue to make little strides uh, one by one at different places. And over time, they will begin to come together and it'll be a journey. But I, I think 
we're moving towards the right goal in thinking of value and thinking of patient outcomes and patient-centered care and things like that. And those those are abstract ideas in some ways. But I think they provide a, a decent North Star. And I think that these individual efforts by sometimes very small players all will sort of come together and, and cumulatively allow us to sort of get, get to where we want to be. One thing to add, Craig, uh, to that is we had to strike a balance here. We, we Dr. Berwick's article was was uh, fairly condemning, and we do want to offer hope. We we do believe that there is a pathway forward that that is not paired or coupled with insolvency, where where we do have a future for this industry that that is bright. So we we want to be able to call out a potential, basically a a duality, two futures here, two paths we can choose, the path we're on or or the one that is more illustrative by some of the examples that we call out in in our articles, such as ChenMed, family-owned primary care physician-run organization that, that focuses on very challenging populations, Three out of four of, of individuals within uh, ChemMed or being served by ChemMed have five or more chronic diseases, yet their emergency room usage is 34% below the national average, 50% fewer admissions, close to 30% lower total cost of care. That right there offers us hope. What we need to do is better understand, well, how do we take that? How do we understand it, translate it into a value and, and start exploring ways to spread those types of innovations, those types of new ways of looking at the industry. Well, Andrew, I appreciate you bringing up the ChinMed example. And, you know, that was one of a few that we mentioned in our article. You know, we also talked about Geisinger and Intermountain, Absolute Care. I mean, you could just go to any of our prior podcasts and, you know, like, and just listen to some of these amazing leaders and see that there's uh, results-oriented, patient-centered redesign that's that's really demonstrating the antithesis of what Berwick talked about with greed. One example that's, that's talked about a lot – High scale, high impact value transformation is Oak Street Health. And I, I really found it interesting that in, in Berwick's article, you know, he talked about the the greed of uh, ex- excessive uh, executive compensation. And he said, you know, take, for example, this data from 2020 of the top 10 uh, highest paid executives, you know, three were from Oak Street Health. And, you know, as I was reading that, I started thinking, well, okay. I mean, look at Oak Street. I mean, similar to ChinMed, I mean, they're getting great results. They've reduced their ED visits by over 50%. They're, they've reduced their 30-day readmission rates by 35%. They've got five-star quality ratings in MA. they got a 91 net promoter score. I mean, the industry average is three. They're sick as 10% of their patients receive 78% of the dollars that flow in the company. So it just got – it gets me thinking, like, is there a way – to in a capitalist world, like where you can actually do good in the world, but also demonstrate this non greed soaked behavior that's so entrenched in a in a rampant fee for service world where you do good by by doing good for the the public good. And a great example of Allidade, you know, I was talking to an executive uh, last week there in the company. 
and they use their funding to absolve all the medical debt for their for their patients so their patients could actually heal and pay attention to their treatment plans and not skip out on PCP visits and things like that. And that company, as I understand, is doing very well financially. So I, I, I'm really fascinated by, you know, how do we take a model that's that's capitalist. I mean, we don't have a socialized healthcare system, but how do we create the right incentives? And I think that's really what value-based care, value-based payments going to do. And, you know, the other thing that, you know, just, I, I think it's kind of like one of the things that, you know, is, is, is the elephant in the room as well as this community benefit that is touted by nonprofit hospitals. You know, they do more indigent care, charity care. I've seen data that show like, well, actually for-profit health systems do as much, if not more. So, you know, like, are are we deluding ourselves sometimes in terms of the outcomes? And, and so I, I, I'm really fascinated by that. And I, I think this this system redesign towards, you know, higher value, you know, depending on how we define that is going to be the test of our generation. So I, I, wanted, I wanted to now engage you both on kind of this, how do we find our voice for value? We're continuing to push for value and care delivery and strategy and operations. But Craig, you talked about earlier, like we need this shared vernacular for what it really means and how to access it. I mean, there's value and terms like quality and it's all subjective and it's dependent on a multitude of different things. And, and you know, the most important thing is perspective, but then we have to think about perspective of the different stakeholders. You know, there's patients, clinicians, health systems, payers, caregivers, society. You know, there was um, a survey I was reading about a year ago, and it, it said only like 7% of people in our society even know what value-based care means. I mean, you know, patients, when they hear value, they think Big Macs and Happy Meals or whatever. And, you know, they they think, you know, like retail, you know, they, they're not really thinking about, they don't understand how broken the healthcare system is. They know it's bad, but they don't understand like how it could be redesigned. And I think that's, you know, for us as leaders to really lead the conversation and value, but well, we have we can't reorient the system unless we get this patient perspective. So, you know, gentlemen, I wanted to ask you, you know, how is it possible that we can synthesize and propagate this universal perspective of a holistic, patient-centered, value-based healthcare system that does account for fewer hospitalizations that are benefit to payers, but simultaneously it reduces maybe the finances for hospitals, but it's it's designed in a way where everyone can win. I mean, how do we redesign the system so it captures that essence of all stakeholder viewpoints so you know, we can create a like a harmonious gestalt. You know, Craig, I'd love to get your take on just this definition of value and how do we find our voice here? Yeah, you raise excellent points. And and I think you note that there's been a lack of definition and a lack of communication. I'm not surprised that only 7% know what value-based care is. I think if you were to talk to 10 different healthcare workers, they would give you 10 different answers of what value-based care is. I think we need to get an understanding of what it means and how to think about it. I don't think that the answer is to come up with a definition. Here is what value is. I think we're better served to teach people how to think about value in particular situations. What do you need to think about? What do you need to define? What do you need to measure? What do you need to quantify? Uh, you know, you touched on it in terms of how much hospitals do with indigenous populations. There's value there. How do we measure it? How do we quantify it? How do we compare it, right? We don't have a good way of doing that. We just sort of refer to anything as value-based. You know, Medicare is value-based. 
programs have received some pushback. Some people say, oh, well, it adds burden to physicians and things like that. That's true. What we've never talked about is, was that even part of CMS's quantification of what value meant when they created this program? Maybe not. Maybe value was solely related to lowering reimbursement and it just wasn't communicated. It just wasn't um, defined. And so I think we end up spending a lot of effort and time arguing things or discussing things where we're sort of talking past each other, right? If CMS had just defined what they mean, for example, we could concentrate the, the feedback on the on the definition of value and their measurement of value within the definition, as opposed to sort of pushing back on uh, the the program itself. So I think we need to have conversations as a as a as an industry, and we need to have, if not a definition, then a framework of okay, how are we going to think about value? What are the components that need to be defined, that need to be communicated, that need to be measured? Is there a way that we can compare value across different programs or systems or perspectives in a way that is somewhat consistent so that we can look at uh, value over years or improvements or identify drivers of value because it's so the system is so complex. So I think we're racing ahead towards value without really knowing where we're going or really having a, a destination in mind. We sort of generally know the kind of the, the direction, but we don't really have a destination. And I think we would be better served to have some of those conversations to, to, to identify that uh, destination or, or one or more of those destinations. Craig, just just to add on to that, it, it's it's really or or to to complement that, it's it's very difficult to have the conversation if we don't have that shared vernacular. What do we mean by value? Which and that will change significantly depending on on what we're talking about, depending on who we're talking with. But from from my perspective, it it simply is by and large missing from the conversation. We do sort of in passing talk about value, value proposition. We we use simplistic formulas like value equals quality divided by cost, but these don't really capture um, a, a meaningful definition. And and in order to in, in order to, to to really make a meaningful contribution, that we do need to uh, both define value in a, in an easy to understand way that acknowledges and incorporates the nuance within each conversation with, with within that, that we're facing within the industry but it should be applied eric whether we're talking about executive compensation or we're talking about um our our staffing patterns or or frontline compensation we use terms like like industry average we measure what we do. We, we decide what we do based on what other what others are doing, and we use that as justification. And and that's that's like saying, well, everybody else is doing it, so why don't we do it? And, and if we can look at the, if we can answer the question, well, what value does this bring us? What do we mean by value for executive compensation, or how much we pay our our personnel, or how much it costs to measure for uh, to to su support quality metrics? JAMA came out with an article not too long ago that, that spoke to the volume and cost of quality metric reporting and came out with an estimate of, of somewhere around five and a half million dollars per facility and just cost for reporting 162 quality metrics. Well, 
there, that may be absolutely critical. I don't know if all 162 are absolutely necessary, but what value does it bring? How do we understand, how do we go about starting to understand the reason we're doing these types of things, the reason why we are behaving uh, the way we are? Once we can start defining these, these terms, to Craig's point, once we start defining these terms, then we're actually going to be able to engage in a meaningful dialogue. Until then, though, it's really difficult to, to even begin that conversation. Yeah, Andrew, that's great. That's a great point. And I think the other thing that that establishing some of this vernacular does is it also gives us more direction, right? When we define things like what is value in this situation and things like what are we trying to accomplish and how will we know if we accomplished it? That can then inform things like, oh, then it's more clear about what it is we need to measure to actually determine whether we got there. When we just have a general sense of value and head in a certain direction, we might do a whole variety of things, in, you know, including 162 different quality measures, without really thinking about how they come together and, and what's the direction we want to go. So I, I think it's important, as you say, for the conversations, but it's also, it, it helps us think about what direction are we going to go and being intentional about the activities that we undertake. Well, gentlemen, I I couldn't agree more with 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 both of your assessments there, and you know, just there's this absolute imperative that we have a common and shared definition. But there's one twist that I wanted to put on this that I was thinking about as you both were talking, and you know, we live in this society that um, is hyper polarized. I mean, we have toxic tribalism happening, and it's impacting issues all over the place, like. You know, mass shootings, climate change, abortion rights, gender affirming care models, even like reforming the healthcare system. You know, like there's 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 people that are staunchly defending, you know, their 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 turf, and you know they don't even think the that healthcare organizations should be in the business of social determinants of health. Um, and it is it just I, I'm really just fascinated by like how do we not only create the the definition and get the conceptual buy-in. I guess the question that what I'm wondering is like, how do we get that buy-in when there's so much polarization in our society? I mean, even with like the on the political landscape, I mean, there's in the news right now about the, you know, whatever the confidential documents and there's people that are defending that. And, you know, like that's not a, you know, the thing that we should worry about. So I, I wanted to at least, uh, you know, kind of take that thought maybe to our next question, you know, and, and I'm going to land the plane here. You know, I think we've covered a lot of ground. And so as we kind of wrap up our conversation, I wanted to think about this kind of like this post-pandemic era that we're in. And, you know, we understand that we have to overcome the self-interest of American healthcare, but it's a human system and humans are inherently flawed and we are self-interested. But we we gotta design something that's gonna be better for patients, workforce, communities. It has to inform uh, decision making. We have to have alignment and consensus, and we have to establish this value based vernacular. But we have to do this through getting people realigned to long term impacts. We gotta stop you know thinking about short term P and L gains, and we have to think about long term actions that 
to provide sustainability. So I wanted to just ask you both about, you know, your perspective on, again, like these economic and moral imperatives for value-based care. But, you know, is that going to be the the tailwind that's going to be needed for industry leaders? I mean, you know, we're coming out of a pandemic, you know, there's a realization now and an elevated consciousness around health equity. Is it are, like, are we in the right moment in society where there is this awareness of all this like tribalism that we are going to find a way to come together and galvanize around these imperatives to reach a critical mass or i mean or i guess the alternative is i mean are we going to need, need another black swan event like uh covid-19 or just the catastrophic financial meltdown of the industry altogether to really begin thinking differently about self-interest and the role that it plays and in, in the way that our industry operates I, you know so I, I gentlemen i wanted to get your take on this as we wrap up our conversation today eric as you were speaking i i I, 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 my mind immediately went to, if not now, when, if not us, who <laughs> there, there is not a silver, there's not going to be a silver bullet. It's it, we, we operate in a, in such a highly complex to your point, polarized, fragmented industry, but there, I don't see a pathway forward without taking um, uh, value into account without have, changing the way we speak about value and how and and where we speak about value, to to the to the title of our of 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 our article, changing the calculus of self interest in healthcare. My mind goes to solvency. My mind goes to access of care, and in terms of self interest, well, if a hospital closes. Or if we are unable to access the care that we need, if the only, if we are in such a hyper specialized um, uh, industry that the the nearest uh, specialist I need is 500 miles away, well, what good is that? So it is in our best interest, our collective best interest, to prevent insolvency. It is in our best interest to understand value from the perspective of, of sustainability, and and. I, I fear that that will not happen without continued dialogue, without without our voices reaching a crescendo to the point where behavior begins to change. I agree, and I and I think ultimately, you know, we can all admit that value is subjective, which means by definition, it's it differs based on your perspective and your situation. So we may never come to a point where everybody agrees on what is the most valuable or what uh, the value of particular services or of a hospital uh, or of something else healthcare related is. But I think, as Andrew said, we need to ha start having those conversations more. We just haven't had those conversations and we instead have just sort of uh, headed towards this general notion of value, linking it to what we do think as tangible quality measures, thinking that that is just going to be the the way that we get there. So I think more conversations need to happen. This is going to be something that we approach from multi you know multiple different fronts: small firms, um, device companies, pharmaceuticals, payers, primary care physicians, whoever. They're all going to have their own. Um, ideas and methods for how to get there. But I think collectively, if we can start talking about some of these things that, like, like Andrew said, what is in our collective best interest? 
at a minimum, what can we agree on is more valuable or less valuable? It's more valuable to have access to care than it than to not have access to care. Things of that nature, that's at least a place to start. And we can build from that and sort of use those as a way to guide uh, what we decide to do next. Well, gentlemen, those are great points. And, you know, we have to have the conversation. I mean, this is so important in our society. And, you know, I, I you know, we've all heard about this, uh, you know, the jumbo jet crashing every day that represents the number of people that die every day in our healthcare system because of medical errors. And, uh, you know, that the IOM report that came out in 99, it's in a shockwave in industry. And, you know, we, we still don't talk about, you know, just healthcare the way we should. I mean, and I think it's a part of it is just the conditioning, you know, we accept, you know, what we know, what what's familiar, but we have to completely reinvent, you know, healthcare in this race to value. And we have to have these important conversations. We have to have the shared vernacular and we have to have a unified um, value set, you know, no pun intended, but we have to have these virtues that we we're, we are really going to not accept uh, spending twice as much per capita as the number two country in the world. We're heading into a, uh, an economic collapse. You know, we have systemic inequities. We just have to to have the conversation. And gentlemen, I, I can't thank you both enough for spending time, you know, talking about uh, this important topic with our listeners, uh, Craig and Andrew. It, it, it's such a pleasure having gotten to know you and writing this important article. And and I'm, I'm we're going to have this article, uh, listeners, in the show notes. So please, engage with with this important subject matter and you know and, and gentlemen i'll just you know give you an opportunity to leave some parting thoughts as we uh wrap up our episode this week thank you so much for having us eric this is fantastic and i've really enjoyed the process i i think we're on the right track i really do i'm optimistic i know a lot of people are pessimistic but i think this is how it goes it's it's a little complicated and it's a little messy but we're heading in the right direction and i think we just need to step back and 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 gain a shared vernacular so that we can sort of continue this this journey together. I echo that very much so, Eric. Thank you very much for having us. It's it's a privilege to have been able to work with you both. And my parting thoughts, I would just say, don't let the 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 complexity of value itself be a reason to put off these conversations. Um, it's it should be incentive to have more of them. And so I'm looking forward to the next one. Amen, brother. Thank you both so much again. And uh, people want to reach out. How can they they find you, you guys? You're, you're welcome to reach out to me through LinkedIn. I am always willing to have this conversation with, with whoever w- would like to, to engage. So please feel free. Same here. I can easily be found on LinkedIn, uh, just searching for my name, Craig Solid. Happy to have any follow-up conversations.